here last week. Okay, how many were not? Okay. Um, leaves me with a little bit of a challenge. So what I'm going to have to do is review a little bit of last week, but I won't be able to go into its entirety. I'm just going to try to skim over the, the, the points that were made last week um, and get to the meat of the old. So basically, we're going to overview the whole Three Angels message, but I'm going to try to concentrate on other things, which I'll um, talk about in, this, in a minute. First, let me have you pray with me one more time. Our great Heavenly Father, how great thou art. I am truly humbled. And touched by the blessings that you've given not just me, but this church and to Christians all over the world that we have an opportunity to gain truth in the power of the Holy Spirit. May you make it clear to us today, even if it's a summarization of the prophetic chain that leads us into eternity. So thank you, Father, for those who've made the trip here today. Thank you, Father, for the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you will give me clarity of mind, knowledge, and wisdom to speak that clarity in an understanding way. So I just thank you, Father, and I'm humbled. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Some people don't like it. <clears throat> they say, well... I had a good friend of mine who passed away in the last year, Chet Laws. He's always make fun of me because the Lord touches my heart. <laughs> it's a very humbling experience, and I just pray that I do him justice. So last week we tried to talk, and we did talk in length, about the details of the first and second angel's message. So today we're going to talk about the third angel's message, but to fully understand it, you really need to go before it, and thank you for the children's story. I won't have to summarize it so much. Um, what happened in Daniel, in 2 and 7 specifically, and even 9, to understand the context and the meaning as we move forward with the whole three angels' message, because this is the time for which the three angels' message was designed for. And then I want to talk a little bit about after the three angels message. And you have to understand that Revelation is not written in a book you follow from front to back and there's some divisions in chapters that don't really belong there. In other words, the original writers didn't put them divisions in there. So we'll talk about that too. But it's, I want to talk more of the literary structure of it. And we have to understand that Revelation is written in cycles. Okay, and so you have to, we're going to jump around a little bit, not as much as last week on this review, because there's not enough time. There are companion books, uh, specifically Daniel 7 and Daniel 13, I mean Revelation 13 
and, the, and 14, at least the beginning of it. So both are mentioned in, to review it quickly, we see that, like you just said, Revelation 17, I'm um, Revelation 13 and Revela uh, Daniel 7. We have um, what I call the prophetic chain, what the, a lot of Bible scholars call the prophetic chain. So we have, um, in Daniel 7, we have the lion, the bear, the leopard, the nondescript beast, uh, representing um, the kingdoms pro that Daniel was shown, and as she, uh, the Nova mentioned in his prop, uh, in her children's story. In Revelation 13, we have a lion, a bear, a leopard, a dragon with ten horns, and a beast with a little horn coming up in the middle. They're talking about the same amount, the same time period of the prophetic chain. However, in Dan, uh, Revelation, it gives more details to where Daniel and seven leaves off. Does that make sense to you? Just for the re those who were here last week, you, you understand this. So just bear with us this morning. Um, the, the, the empires that I just spoke, spoke about started in 605, the first one, Babylon, to 539, then it went from 538 to 331 for Medo-Persia, and the leopard was uh, 331 to 168, and then we see where the nondescript beast or the beast representing the Roman Empire, which is kind of broken into two parts, starts from that point of 167 and moves onward to around 476 um, to conclude the first part. You have a little bit of an interim in there um, between um, 476 until four, uh, 538 because as I just spoke, the little horn that comes up, um, we talked last week about how it parallels the prophecies and the understanding that it's the Roman Catholic Church or more specifically the papacy, not the people in the church, but the organization. And between 476 and 538, those 10 horns, three of them were absorbed, taken out, uh, done away with. Um, and they happened, um, they were the Hurley Eyes and five, uh, 493, um, the Vandals, uh, 534, and the Ostrogoths in 538. This is when that little horn fully took over the power in the transition from the civil Roman Empire to the religious papacy part of the Roman Empire. Make sense? Yeah. And then it goes on to say it rules for 1260 years. Um, <clears throat> so 538, 1260 years brings us to 1798. Follow me? Pretty easy so far, right? Um, even those who weren't here last week. Many details given on the identities and the way that we can um, understand that they are doing the same bidding, if you will. They are three ways we talked about. Um, both are in the same location in the prophetic chain. Um, both carry out the same duties, I guess you could call them, in the prophetic chain. Um, and in the time, so they both are a part of the same period of history, they both are also doing the same things in history, right? Make sense, you follow me? I'm trying to summarize it from notes that go way into detail, so I don't wanna do that to you. Um, 1798, there's an event that happens that's not in Daniel. It's implied, but it's not there. 
Uh, what's implied is what happens and what we learn about in Revelation 13, which is the deadly wound that happens to the little horn or the beast, <clears throat> which is then called the sea beast as well. Um, there's also another event that happens around 1798, which continues the prophetic chain with another beast called the earth beast or the land beast, which we understood and we talked about last week being the United States, <clears throat> which appears to um, help the beast heal, the first beast, the sea beast heal. Um, one beast seems to help the other one heal to fulfill the rest of prophecy. So the Roman Catholic Church, the papacy, the little horn that came up with eyes and speaks blasphemies um, toward the Most High, the little horn persecutes the saints of the Most High, and in the other part we see the great words are spoken against the Most High in Revelation 13, and the beast persecutes the saints of the Most High. See how the same thing it's doing? One goes down with a wound, one is coming up at the same time, but over that next portion of time, um, it helps to heal the beast because Revelation tells us that the beast gets a wound, but it's also going to be healed. <clears throat> the same time frame as I spoke earlier. Um, one, one says times, times, dividing at times. The other one says 42 months. 42 months times 30 days is 1,260 years. It's also said that 1,260 years is three and a half years. So there's several ways to talk about how that um, power is going to rule for. And that's where we get to 1260 years. Because a day in prophecy is as a year. Okay? Um, okay, got ahead of that. Um, I said I'm skimming over a lot of notes that don't need to be talked about today to shorten it to get to the meat of today's so we still have no gaps we have uninterrupted events in that chain um, the beast from the land as I was saying at the time of the other beast was wounded and it rises as the new nation or the new beast which we know is the United States. Another detail it gives us is that this beast is lamb-like with two horns. This beast that rises up as the other one is being wounded. It's lamb-like, so that would mean what? It's Christ-like? Christ-like. Okay. It has two horns, which means one is what? Horns represent what? Powers within it. King, yeah, power. So there's two powers that the Great Controversy talks about the United States, which makes it great, or made it great, was two parts, separation of church and state, basically. A Republican government, as well as a separation of religious liberties. That is the secret of the power, according to, um, like I said, Great Controversy. At least in the beginning, this beast starts off lamb-like, but as we go, and as I said, it heals the first beast with the wound. But later we learn that it's going to speak as a dragon. Now we all know what the dragon represents. That can't be a good thing, right? right? So in speaking as a dragon, 
it does everything that the first piece was going, had did actually, in its existence from 538 to 12, um, 1798, excuse me. It's going to heal the wound, this, this piece, and you can find out Revelation 11 through 18, we went through it last week. Um, returns the sword of civil power. Um, and it exercises all the power of the first piece. It commands us all to worship the first piece. It creates an image to the first beast. Um, basically, it's doing everything to please the first beast and heal that wound. That's why a lot of people have been walking, watching history and the movements of what's going on in governments today to see, and we've seen over the last 30, 40 years, how these powers have come together. Um, if you follow political things and what's going on in the world, you will see that the um, Pope has gotten a lot of more powerful um, from the time of this wound um, to the point where he even had, what was that, was it 2015, I think, where they, the Lutheran Church came together and said we are all of one accord, everything is good, uh, because they, but they only talked about one of the events of the 95 Thesis that Martin Luther nailed on the wall. So they said, oh, we agree on this one, so everything's over, we're all one church. So these are ways that we've been tracking the healing of the beast, the sea beast, with the power of the um, uh, land beast, which is the United States. So we see in Revelation 13 that at the end of it, the whole world is basically following the first beast. It doesn't mean it's following it yet, but remember we're talking about prophetic terms here. It's not quite there yet. This is just prior to what happens in the next chapter. So to, just to back up 13, Revelation 13, going from 1 to um, 11, I think. Excuse me? Yeah, 1 to 10, and then from 11 to 18 is the second, or the land beast. But at the end of that chapter, it seems like there's no one left. There's no remnant of God to uphold and to give the three angels' message, basically. But in Revelation, as I said before, the, the breakups of the book, the chapters were not written by the people who wrote it. So it wasn't written by John. They were put in later. So really, chapter 13 should really not end until about the fifth verse of Revelation 14. But since it does, we just have to connect, excuse me, Revelation 14, 1 through 5. And when we read that, we find out, and let's just read that quick. I want to go there. I'll read it so it'll speak quicker. To show you where it leaves us off and where it comes back together again. No, I said it wasn't written in in its in, in chronological order. You can't, you don't go. You have to move around a little bit because it, that's what I'm saying. Literarily, we have to look at it differently, and it was not divided by John. Okay, so sometimes, as we're talking about here, when we get to the end of Revelation 13, we see here is the wisdom. Let's see, go back one more, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark of the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is the wisdom, let him who has understanding calculate the number 
of the beast, for it is the number of a man is 666. It seems like he's got the whole world under control here, but the story doesn't stop there, and that's why I said you need to go to Revelation 14, because it gives you another story of the remnant that's going to be able to give the three angels message, basically. So then it says, Then I looked, and behold, a lamb standing on Mount Zion. Mount Zion is a, is a sign of what? God's church. Okay. Um, and with him, 144,000 having their father's name written on their foreheads. So they are sealed. Okay. And I heard a voice from heaven like the voice of many waters and like the voice of loud thunder. And I heard the sound of the harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne, before the four creatures and the elders. And no one could learn that song except the 144,000 who were um, redeemed from the earth. These are the ones who are not defiled with women, uh, for they are virgins. They are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These were redeemed from among men, being first fruits. First fruits in qual quality, not, not in first time-wise, okay? Um, just so you know. Because first fruit, you'll say, well, first fruit, Jesus was the first fruit. And we all understand that. But this was in quality. Um, if, you, if you look into um, the sanctuary message, what happened when the season started of harvest? The first fruits, when they started harvest, were brought where? To God, to the temple. What happened to them after that? They took them first fruits and they baked them. And they called them loaves. They were baked into loaves. And they were the finished product. So you have first fruit harvest. The harvest then, while the harvest is going on, and they go through all the the harvesting of the different uh, grains. Uh, while that's going on, the priests are making loaves out of them. Then they have the wave loaves where they bring those before the Lord. There's a reason that's there. And I didn't talk about this last week, and I don't want to go too far into this week. The reason is one is the unfinished product, one is the finished product. So here when I say the, 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 um, the, these characters that, are being, uh, that we're reading about in 14 are being um, redeemed, we're talking about 144,000. That means their character is perfected while they're alive. So they're like the finished product first fruits. You follow me? Yeah. Jesus is both. He's both finished. He's both, both first fruits. He's the first fruit ultimately. But when we're talking about God's people, there's a first fruit in the beginning, which would be the first Pentecost. Okay, those have passed away, right? But these are the ones after the latter rain or sealed uh, uh, at the beginning of the latter rain, the beginning of the proclamation, as we see in Revelation 18. So that's important to know. So the first fruits here takes on a, um, two different I I ideologies, I guess you could say. It's not in time, but in quality. Because the first fruits had already been given in time back then. This is first fruits in quality, as wave loaves would have been. So um, it says a lot of things in there. But basically saying that they've been victorious over everything that the beast, the false prophet, the dragon, the kings of the earth, the merchants, and everybody else has done to try to squelch God's people. That means his Christians, basically. Um, so we have this victorious people, which is his church. They're before Mount Zion. But the scene we just read is them being on the sea of glass, them before the 24 elders. It's a throne scene. So we have a gap there. How did this remnant get there that were victorious when we just learned about the world who was stopping everybody and trying to get them to follow the image of the beast? You follow what I'm saying? We have a gap. We go right to a people living 
victoriously in heaven. So there's a gap. So now, because it's not chronological, James, it goes back, and we go back to find out uh, what happened in between there. Okay? How did these people then get victorious on Mount Zion? If the three angels' message that supposedly finishes the work wasn't preached yet. That's why I say the gap is there. The answer to Revelation um, is, like I said, not chronological. What we're seeing is John finishes chapter 13 to repeat it. Uh, he goes back to before the 144,000 to the three angels' message so we can see how they were sealed because accepting of the first, second, and third angels' message is the sealing time. If I took the chart over here, I could show you clearly on that. So to keep moving with the summarization, first angels' message was preached. What is in the first angels' message? We said it last week. Just, well, yeah, fear God. It's basically the everlasting gospel, to summarize it. It's the, huh? it's, the, it's the whole thing. There's a lot of things in there. I'll go through them. Preaching the everlasting gospel to the whole world. Jesus sacrificed once and for all, and he doesn't have to die no more. Jesus only high priest. There's no human high priest. His righteousness only, not by ours. See, the papacy teaches something different. Or the world, the beast, is teaching something different. It teaches the opposite. It teaches that um, he can sacrifice, right? It does it in the mass. They sacrifice Christ in every mass. That's what that means. Their mass is sacrificing Christ over and over again. And the priesthood will intercede. You can go and confess to the priest. We can go to the high priest directly. So it's a direct opposition. Um, also, to fear God, which means basically to obey God, and I could give you the story of Abraham and Sarah. I did that last week with Abimelech. We could go to um, Abraham when he was going to um, kill his son Isaac. And God said when he got done that I can see you obey me now. So it's an obedience thing. Also, um, we would keep his commandments, right? And also we would, what about his glory? Michelle was saying it. So the glory would be seen. Now that opens up another problem. Where do we get this glory from? The glory that we're talking about here. For how can we give glory that we don't have? How can we give glory back to God if we don't have it? We have no glory to give God, not of ourselves. The only glory is what we can receive from God we can then return to God. And that is to do with glory is character. So we have to put on Christ. We have to get rid of our character, put on Christ's character. Then we can give God's glory to the earth. It's, it'd be like, um, also another thing in there, before I go to that, um, so trying to just summarize it here. Uh, the hour of his judgment has begun while this gospel is being preached. This is all in the first angel's message. It's preached so there still has to be time before his second coming. There's a judgment. Judgment's being preached. It has to be done before his second coming. You're a school teacher. Do you grade the test before they take the test? No, sir. Kind of hard to do, right? right? God doesn't do things unfairly either. Amen. Amen. Thank God he has grace and mercy. So he's giving time for us to understand what we're being judged on. That comes, that's in the first angel's message. 
Also, the dead are not dead. There are those who don't believe that. And how can you be alive if you weren't judged yet? You didn't get your reward, right? Jesus says, I come and my reward is with me for those who are the wicked and those who are the righteous. It can't be done until you get the judge, judgment done. So it talks about, and this is still in the first angel's message. Also, there can't be, they can't be in heaven or hell if they're not judged. And the Bible talks about them being asleep in the grave. Now, this judgment started as the message started. When did the message come about? The first and second, third angel's message. When? 1844. Okay. So that's where the judgment starts. Also, they would keep the holy sanctified day, the Sabbath. Um, so each of the three angels builds upon the previous one. God starts out with what you should do. It gives you a lot of truth with it. And then we see in the second one what happens in the second angel's message. It's fallen, it's fallen. And then he tells you in the second angel's all the reasons why it fell. The first one was it rejected the first angel's message. Didn't want to do any of that. Decided to make its own rules and its own laws and force everybody else to do it. The other thing that makes a difference after we get through the fallen phone, that doesn't mean it has completely fell yet. It's fallen, it's fallen. It's in a process. The lamb-like beast learns to speak like a dragon. The wound needs to be healed. Those are happening. That takes a period of time to happen. As that's happening, it's fallen, it's fallen. It's not getting better. They're not accepting it. It'd be nice if we did as a world, then he could heal our lands and we wouldn't have the tragedies that we have. But unfortunately, we're, we've chosen another route as, human, as a human race, at least as our leaders. I could put it that way. Because as we talked last week, we talked about the dragon, the beast, the false prophet. They were three parts of, the, of Babylon. So basically, the proclamation is that Babylon is fallen as it rejected the first angel's message. And it tells you to get out. Now, the third angel's message starts off with, if you don't get out, you will end up worshiping the beast and his image, receiving the mark, and then, unfortunately, because you did that, the wrath of God, which means his plagues, will fall on you. So there's a sequence here, but they have to be in the right order. So at this point, we all have been judged for life or death, or marked or sealed, either marked for Satan or sealed for God. The harvest... Um, well, not really, not yet, because we're still talking about the three angels' message being preached in the power of the latter rain and the power of the Holy Spirit, which is in Revelation 18, where they repeat it again. As we said, they started in 1844. The judgment started, the message started to be proclaimed. The second angels' message wasn't even proclaimed until, I think, 1846, before they got that started. It took a time. It takes time. God doesn't. I know it seems like a lot of time to us, but one day is just a thousand years with God. Okay? So it, the, the first resurrection has not happened yet. Okay. We're getting to that, though, because now we're going to talk about the point that all have been judged for life or death, the mark of Satan, the seal of God, as I just said. The harvest now is fully ripened. That's saying the judge started 
1844 with the dead. He went back to Adam and Eve, and he's come forward. We, we're waiting now, and we're talking about the judgment time and the sealing of the living, which is something that's never happened in history yet. We are privileged to be part of this. God has said you have been blessed, and you will be able to live perfectly. You will be sealed in perfection of character. And if your character is sealed in perfection, then you're not going to go out and do bad things. That would be against your character. Okay? Like somebody may say, so-and-so did this or so-and-so did that. Like if someone told me I, they saw Orville eating pork chops, I would say, uh, really? I'd have to call Orville. I don't believe that's true. I know Orville for about 30-something years, and I know he wouldn't go within a 10-foot pole of pork. If he did, <laughs> Something's changed in Orville, okay? I know his character. I know my daughter's character. She's not going to go rob banks. She's not going to mistreat her children. I mean, so there's something to be said for knowing people, knowing their character. It's, too, it's not easy to change your character and do something outside your character. You ever find that? Even now, we find things, we do things wrong, and it doesn't set well. We hear that little voice, like Orville said this morning, hear a little voice, let's not sing it now. Let's not sing it now. We listen to the voice. The harvest, though, the harvest is now fully ripened. And I want to call your attention to the other harvest that's fully ripened within the harvest. It's the grapes. Grapes are fully ripened, too. This is a breakdown of two groups at the end of time. Anybody want to guess which one is which? Not you. I see her shaking her head. Not you. <laughs> Lynette, you can't answer this. What are the two groups at the end of time? Wicked and righteous. Okay, simply put, wicked and righteous. So which is which? Is the harvest the righteous or is the harvest the wicked? Is the grapes the righteous or the grapes the wicked? Anyone want to guess? Not you, Lynette. <laughs> okay, well, let's talk about that. Two groups only. Which one, James? <laughs> okay, let, 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 let's... Huh? <laughs> uh, let me go to six, six, um, 6T, page 9. I think it might be here. Maybe not. Uh, okay, where it talks about this. In a special sense, 70 Adventists have been set in the world. No, that's not the one. I'm sorry. Let's see if I have it in the mirror. Um, maybe, I think it's, um, sorry. That's a one for another time. We'll get that one next. Uh, I'm going to go to Great Controversy. I think that might be where it is. 341. I didn't mark them clear enough. Someday I'll get the ability to um, do this on a computer. PowerPoint will be all spelled out for me. In the meantime, I have to do it the old-fashioned way. I'm going to say wicked times. You probably said something about the sickle in because the harvest is ripe. And that, I think that sin has begun. Okay, well, both are ripened. The harvest and the grapes. So both are, be, are to be reaped. Good that your brain is working on it, though. Let me see if this is the quote. Bear with me. I know Lynette is chomping at the bit over there. Uh -huh. Let's see. 
ministers and people declare that the prophecies of Daniel and Revelation were incomprehensible mysteries. Well, this is probably not it, but I know I wanted to read this. But Christ directed his disciples to the words of the prophet Daniel concerning events to take place in their time and said, Whoever, whosoever reads, readeth, let him understand. And that's not the one. It's part of it. I'm looking for the specific one, and I maybe don't have it here. I apologize. Last week I did this, and Lynette had the book that I was missing, which is not a book we carry around a lot. No, this is not the one that talks about that. I apologize. 16. Oh, I didn't bring it. It's in 16. Do you have 16? This is crazy. 16, page 15, verse 1. Unbelievable. Second day in a row. That's why I tell her she can't answer. I inverted the 6 for a 9. That's page 15, verse 1. Yeah, let me make sure it's the right one. Someone read it on the line the other way. super good that's the one okay let me go a little bit for before that back a little bit more some of it's going to be covered later um, it's got the sickle in here James okay thrust in thy sickle and reap for the time has come for thee to reap for the harvest of the earth is ripe. And he that sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, which had power over fire, and cried with a loud voice to him that had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust it in. Sharp, thrust in thy sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe and the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and cast them into the great wine press of the wrath of God so now I told you who the grapes are, are yeah it's from Romans 14 too but I like the way she wrote it there that's the wicked the harvest is the righteous, and we can see that later because the harvest is in the city. The wicked are not in the city. The wine press is outside the city, so the grapes go in the wine press outside the city. The other ones are inside the city. <laughs> so the first and second and third angels' messages begin at the end of time and the ripening of the end of time is done because of that. Great controversy. Here's the great controversy. 611. I've really got to get a better set of glasses. The angel who unites in the proclamation of the third angel's message is to lighten the whole earth 
with his glory. A work of worldwide extent and unwanted power is here foretold. The Adventist movement of 1840, 1844 was a glorious manifestation of God's power. The first angel message was carried to every missionary station in the world, and in some countries there was the greatest religious interest which has been witnessed to in any land since the reformation of the 16th century. But these are to be exceeded by the mighty movement under the last warning of the three angels message. The work will be similar to that of the day of Pentecost as the former reign was given in the outpouring of the Holy Spirit as the opening of the gospel to cause the upspringing of the precious seed so the latter rain will be given at its close for ripening of the harvest. It goes on. His, his going forth is prepared as the morning, and he shall come unto us as the rain, as the latter and former rain unto the earth. It goes on to talk about Hosea. So the harvester, the harvested, and the grapes are two different things. The harvest would be the grains. Worship God. The grapes worship the beast. The harvest has got the seal of God, the grapes, the mark of the beast. And as Orwell just rightly said, Revelation 14 talks about it too. The harvest and conclusion in the heavenly sanctuary also, second coming, that's the ultimate result. So you can't have the second coming, you can't have the judgment. Everybody's got to be sealed for one or the other, either sealed with the mark of seal of God, marked with the mark of the beast. Every case has to be decided before the second coming happens. Second coming, second coming of Christ happens. Mm -hmm. So we have a white cloud, as I just read, and we read it in Revelation, and the sickle's in his hand for reaping, reaping the harvest. But we see the other angel in verse 15, where all the ripe, both grapes who accept and reject the three, oh, excuse me, both groups, those who accept and reject the three angels' message, seal or mark. The first is the harvest. They are the spiritual people, God saved. You, you're not going to get that later. The sealing of the spiritual Israel are reference to Jerusalem, not the Jerusalem of the Middle East. Remember last week we talked about Babylon? It wasn't Babylon in the Middle East. It wasn't literal. As, Jane, as um, William Miller says, you have to use the same method of interpretation. So if you're not talking about the literal Babylon, when we talk about Jerusalem here, we're not talking about the literal Jerusalem. We're talking about citizens of both. The wicked or the grapes took on the character of Satan. They're, they're marked by him. The other ones have the seal of Christ, the seal of God. So they are citizens of heaven. Spiritual Jerusalem, where the grapes are not allowed to go. I mean, someday we're going to be in the literal new Jerusalem. Amen. So we have to understand that the two cities are spiritual here in that interim before Christ comes back. The preparation of the sealing during the time of the latter rain, the time of the loud cry, the three angels' message, which prepares the people to be citizens for heaven and sealed that way. They are citizens of heaven. If I leave my country, I'm still a citizen of the United States, even if I'm in Jamaica. 
right? I'm in the world, but not of the world. So we need to be consistent with that. The whole earth here is involved. So these cities have to be spiritual because one city doesn't take in the whole world, right? But within the whole world, you have Babylonians and Christians. People in Babylon, people in the city of Jerusalem. These are global, so to speak. They're still the same, pe same two groups. Harvest the grapes, righteous the wicked. The whole world is involved. So, let's go to Revelation for a second here. To the great chapter of 14, quickly. We went through a lot of this in detail last week. Um, but some of this is going a little further now because we're bringing in the third angel's of the message. Revelation 14, I'm going to go to 19 and 20. By the way, I don't know if your books and Bibles have a thing, um, a heading on them, but if you look, and that was what Orwell was believing, I believe he's referring to, in mine it says that Revelation 14 to Revelation 16, the, the little heading there is the reaping of earth's harvest. If you go down to 17 through the end, 20, it's called the reaping of grapes of wrath. So it gives you the two clear differences right there. Um, we're going to go to 19 to 20 right now just to read about the vine. Yeah, the whole thing is the harvest of the earth. But the harvest means something different than the grapes. Both are being harvested, but they're separated here. So reaping the earth's harvest and reaping the grapes of wrath are two different groups. <clears throat> 19. So the angel, this is James's verse, thrust in his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress on the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city. The blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Obviously, the righteous are not in the winepress. So the harvest that we first talked about is the righteous. Harvest is not put in the wine press, but the grapes are, and the great wine press is outside the city, full of the wrath of God. And then we see that they're trampled. We see they're trampled by who? By the horses, that the blood reaches up to their bridles. Let's go to 19, Revelation 19. Eleven through fifteen. This is where it talks about those horses. That's why I said you have to move around a little bit in a literary context, not one chapter, one chapter reading. It says Christ is on a white horse. Then I saw heaven open, and behold a white horse. And he who sat on on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. So who's faithful and true? And who's righteous? And who does the judging? It's all talking about Christ is on a white horse, right? His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. That's still talking about Jesus. 
He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood. Hmm. And his name is called the Word of God. Well, that could only be Christ. He's the Word of God. But then it kind of threw me off there. His robe is dipped in red. He's on a white horse, but he's got a red robe. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations. So he's judging the nations, right? We've got a sword coming where? Out of his mouth. What does that represent? The sword in the Bible represents the word of God. He is the word of God. And he himself ruled with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of the almighty God. And he has his robe and on his robe, a thigh a name, king of kings, lord of lords. We really have no misinterpretation here that that's God doing the judging. He's on the white horse. He come, he's coming back now, James. Judgment is done. People have been chosen. Some are citizens of heaven in the Jerusalem. Some are in Babylon. The grapes are outside in the wine press, so we're going to assume they're the wicked in Babylon. The other ones are inside the city as the harvest. Then it says he saw another angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of heaven, Come and gather together the supper of the great God. So we see Christ coming in, doing the judging. He's got a sword. And then he's doing what with it? He's trampling the wine press. There is why he has a red robe on. If you, it's impossible to tread a wine press without getting red on you. Okay, it's kind of um, interesting that he has it go up to the horse's bridles. That means there's a lot of people being trampled. It's, it doesn't mean it actually went that high, but I'm sure it was pretty messy. And we were told in the dark ages of the 1260 years that blood ran down the streets from men killing men or we know women, womankind, mankind. If there was that much blood with man doing it, and God is coming and trampling the winepress, that's the whole earth with the wicked in the winepress, and he's the one trampling with the wrath of God, there's going to be a lot of blood. Yes? Yeah. It's trying to show you that there's going to be a lot of, it's, it's pretty grimsome. It's a pretty ugly picture. It's actually horrifying. I don't know if it goes that far because he, they're just trying to show you that there's a lot being trampled. There's a lot of death going on. And then it goes on, as I just read, and it, the bodies are left for birds to pick. The feast of the birds. You say, how is that a loving God? And I'm telling you right now, he wants nobody in that group. However, and he's warning him. And the three angels' message is what's doing that. So we see the enemies of God coming up and trying to kill his people, his citizens. We're told in prophecy that they circle his children around the world. Not all in a big circle. They may come around a circle, a group over here and a group over there. But they are sealed now, folks. These are his righteous sealed. He's not going to allow the wicked to do anything to them. Amen. So he comes in on a white horse 
with other white horses, which are the armies of heaven, to stop them from killing his people. They are willing and looking to kill his people. So when you say it's too bad for them, I'm like, yes, it is. It might be people I know in that group. How sad would that be? What if I myself was in that group? Hmm, I don't want to be there. So I choose to do what he's asked me to do. And that way there I can be sealed by the sealing of God in his character. And I'm, I'm sure there's going to be no joy in his people because he's destroying wicked. Yes. Well, it's not on our hands, but it's on. <laughs> if, we don't, if we don't, it would be, yeah. We got nobody to blame but ourselves. Huh? So. So, the, so we see here that the wine press includes not just the wicked, but also those who are causing people to be deceived. You know, the dragon, back to Revelation, back to Daniel, the beast, and the false prophet, the kings of the universe. I'm writing the universe, the kings of the earth, excuse me. Here's another connection to the third angel. So right there, go back a couple pages to 15, chapter 15, verses 2 and 4. And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over the image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, these are the ones that are citizens in heaven. They're not in the winepress, right? standing on a sea of glass, having harps of God, and they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O God, and glorify your name? And you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. Those are several terminologies to the third angel's message. At the end of Revelation 13, is there no group victorious? We just saw it where there is. They are sealed. They are citizens of heaven. This group that is victorious on the sea of glass is the same three angels terminology that we saw earlier. So the dragon with ten horns represents Rome, empire, gives a seat to the beast. The beast rules 1260 years, ending in 538, no, ending in 1798. Then another beast, oh, well, I got ahead of myself. Let's just skip that part. We don't need to review that. I already told it to you twice already. Um... Okay, the faithful who resist and worship God 
and received the victory, as we just read about, how did they do it? What got them there? I gave it to you earlier. How did they do it? How did they get the victory? How did they get the unseen glass? How did they sing the song? They accepted the three angels' message, and they proclaimed it. In this stage, we are not just to accept it. We also have a duty to proclaim it. So just accepting is good, but if you've got time, you're supposed to proclaim it. This is in a period of time when the sealing is happening and, and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is going to all the world, right? Well, you're proclaiming it. We already read the three years of the message where they are a warning. We, one was told what you have to do to be saved, the first angel's message, right? It's basically the gospel. The second one's telling you if you don't, Babylon's going to continue to fall because we see in the chain of events in the empires that the lamb-like beast is going to speak as a dragon, heal the wound of the other one. You're going to be caught up in that. And the powers of the earth, the merchants and the kings and the mighty men and the governors are all going to force you by law or whatever other means they have to worship the beast. But these are victorious because they don't in spite of the threats of death. Okay? So as they're accepting it, they're sealed, they proclaim the three angels' message. And as we see in Revelation 18, it's the power of the fourth angel in that period of time that gives them the power of the Holy Spirit or the latter rain during that period. Yes? Right. It's always the latter rain, but it's specifically poured out more in abundant, but as you receive it, you also have to proclaim it. Just doing one is not. You can't keep the good news, can't keep the good news away from somebody. If I love you, don't I want to save you? I want you to have the message to save you. How can you not? You know, when you first become a Christian, you're always like, you got to hear this. You're excited about it. It's not going to be any different here, but this is a specific time when it's the end of the earth, the end of the time. So the harvesters in the city, grapes outside and wampus, as we said. The armies of heaven are on white horses. Jesus is leading them on a white horse. He has a red robe, okay, to protect his people because the wicked are going to kill the righteous. They're looking to. Just so you know, Mrs. White writes in Desire of Ages that um, nobody ever dies from the death decree. God judges them guilty of it because if he didn't come and save them here that we just read about, they would kill his people. So they're judged because they would have done it if he just waited a little longer. But, of course, God knows the beginning from the end. He's not going to lose one soul. Not one soul. Praise God. So it's important to know this literary structure of how these events happen, these chapters of Revelation and how they're linked to Daniel 7, Daniel 9, Daniel 2, many other parts they're not just prophecies you need both to understand God's truth in a literary context not just as understanding prophecies we can know all the dates times years and all that stuff but if you don't understand a little of how it happens you'll get caught up with mismarking things so how important are the three angels message this is the one I wanted uh, early writings earlier we're getting close here, folks. I won't bore you any longer than I have to. Just had to recap a lot. I wasn't really planning to do that, but I want it to be understood. 
259. I was shown three steps, the first, second, and third angel's message, said my accompany angel. Woe to him who shall move a block or a stir a pin of these messages. The true understanding of these messages is a, of vital importance. The destiny of souls hangs upon the manner in which they are received. You see why I said it's got to be both literal and prophetic understanding? You have to be able to show how it all works together. One is not enough. I was again brought down through the, these messages and saw how dearly the people of God had purchased their experience. Purchased their experience. You can't purchase our salvation. But it, the experience and toil that we have to go through takes its toll on us, right? It has been obtained through much suffering and severe conflict. But God had let them along, along step by step until he had placed them upon a solid, immovable platform. See a glass, maybe? I, was, I saw individuals approach the platform and examine the foundation. Some with rejoicing, some were with rejoicing immediately stepped on it. Others commenced to find fault with the, with the foundation. Is it important? I mean, not just for us to understand, for anybody, right? You see, how will they impact and how important these three angels' messages are to the world? They're not rocket science, not really. I'm just trying to give you some details to further get you to study this stuff and realize you're on a solid platform. Do you know why? Or do you know another church that has the three angels' message? Anybody? The reason for their existence, or the reason for our existence, our sole reason is to proclaim the three answers message. It's not like it's, we've been given something special, yes, but it's not like he didn't offer it to the world. What happened in 1831 to 1862 when the church became a church, Seventh-day Ministers, what happened? Did he not reach out and try to reach out to every single church? If we look at the Will and Willerite movement and the movements that were going around the world at the time, it was, there was no Seventh-day Adventist. We had Millerites, which was his movement. Praise God for William Miller. One of the great reformers, Christ. God has said he's got an angel guarding William Miller's grave, and he calls him the second Moses. Wow, that he could say that about all of us. But he tried to reach every single church. He also tried to reach who first when Jesus was here? Did Jesus go to the multitudes of the worlds, nations? He went to who? His people, the Hebrews, the Jews. He even gave them a probation time until they rejected him. He always goes to his people first. He came to all the Christian churches, basically the Protestant churches. I don't care which one. I don't even know all the names, Episcopalian, Lutheran, Baptist. He came to all of them. They were all part of that movement. Is there any Baptists here? It's not a bad thing. Any Catholics here? Ex-Catholics, I mean. I'm talking about ex. Or Episcopalians? Did you come from other churches? 
Huh? Ex-Catholic, yeah. Ex-Baptist. I mean, I hate to use the word ex, but yeah. My point is, he came to try to reach them first, just like what happened with Jesus' time. Jesus didn't go back into the temple. That's why Ichabod, he has left the temple when they rejected him. He never went back. He moved on and started the apostolic church. Likewise, in 1844, he tried to reach every single Christian denomination, and they jumped on board. But then disappointment, because unfortunately, we Christians, we people, the Millerites and everybody else, had it wrong. They, they missed the point. But the people that stayed there and prayed said, look, God's not wrong. We must be wrong. On their knees, they pleaded like Jacob, wrestling with the angel. So we don't know any other church, but we know other church people. That the reason for their existence is to proclaim the three angels' message, the last message to the world. Only one church in the world that takes that as its message and mission. And that's the Seventh-day Adventist. There's other people doing a great work, don't get me wrong, but this is the work that I just read is the most important. This is the last message given to the world before you have to, and you have to make a decision. It's a global message, so God must, must needs to have a global church. There's other churches that are keeping the seven-day Sabbath. There's other churches doing things that are right and just, okay? But to my knowledge, we're the only one that's a worldwide movement with churches everywhere. Now, if it's a worldwide movement, he also needs a people that are everywhere on earth. The, the purpose and the reason for a global church is to plant a people all over the world so that every nation, kindred, tongue, and people can get the message. God won't lose one soul. He's not in the business of losing souls. So could you say, would it possible to say that we are both, we're two things. We're watchmen. What is a watchman? Is that defensive or offensive? Uh, offensive. A watchman? It's defensive. It's defensive. He's watching so no one can come in and steal. He's defending the wall. But God called the SDA to be a defensive to defend truth. Now, I'm not saying everybody in every Adventist and every church does that. We're just saying this is the ideal, and we hope that we are, to defend the truth of the three angels' message, by the way. Not let anyone undermine its truth, what we might call present truth? Is the three angels mentioned the present truth? I mean, look around what's going on in the world. We're losing our free speech. How do you present a message if you don't have free speech? If they're going to lock you up or take you off the internet or censor you? I would say it's getting close, right? But it's definitely truth for this time. Second task for us as well is to be light bearers. This is an offensive, offensive act, not an offending act. Hopefully we don't do it that way. But to proclaim the truth, we are to be we are called defensive and offensive. To defend the truth and to proclaim the truth, because it's the last hope to the world, folks. 
And I, I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer. I'm not bringing the destruction to earth. I, I would like to keep it off for a lot of years. First of all, because I don't think I'm ready yet, and I want to be able to be sealed. But Satan knows what I'm talking about. Believe me. Jesus is the blessed hope, but this is the last hope for the world. And Jesus is in the message. He's the one destroying. We're not destroying anybody. To proclaim in, the, in this time, the 300 message for the last end time message. That's what Revelation 18, 1 through 4 says. I didn't write the book. I'm just reading it for what it is. I didn't go to theology school either. Just a truck driver, farmer, slash builder, whatever. I get my hands dirty. So you think for one minute that Satan's not going to try everything he can to attack us, destroy our doctrines, or sneak in, you know, change a little dot or tittle or cross on the T or dot on the I? We have to be watchmen. Because who use everything he can against us? Just like the message says about the prophetic chain. The beast, the dragon, and the false prophet are going to use everything they have. Satan's working through them, the dragon ultimately working through them. So we, brothers and sisters, can't let that happen. We need to stay united at all costs on the platform of truth so that we'll be able to proclaim the message. We don't want to get divided over cultures or convinced of anything else. Political correctness as well. Because we're beyond that. At least we should be. Political correctness comes right out of communism. You can read it. Look up the history of it. It's designed to disrupt and disunite and keep you on your edge. This is Lucifer, Satan, trying to keep us from what he knows if we do, he's done. The work finishes. Everybody gets saved who wants to be saved. We can't let it happen. And we are beyond that. Let me just look at this. Now I can read that one here in closing. The special sense Seventh-day Adventists have been set in the world as watchmen and light bearers. To them has been entrusted the last warning for a perishing world. Now, maybe you don't believe the world's perishing. I don't know. I'm looking around. It's a lot of bad things going on. Um, they're even destroying our food, destroying our water, destroying our air. There's so many things going on. On them is shining wonderful light from the word of God. They have been given a work that must or excuse me, this is an older book I got because they got it all highlighted and I can't read through the writing. <clears throat> they have been given a work of the most solemn import, the proclamation of the first, second, and third angel's message. There is no other work of so great importance. They are to allow nothing else to absorb their attention. That's pretty strong words. When you think nothing else kind of means nothing else. Do I still go to work now? Only if I'm using it to further the word of God. He's the one blessing me with a job. 
Jobs may be hard to find someday. So looking at the world events, things are closing down quicker than I'd like them. I'm not making it up, just look in the news. First Amendment, as I said, is being attacked. So freedom of speech goes, then what do we got? They'll muzzle you, you're not gonna be able to say anything. The joining together of church and state isn't because the church loves the government. We can look and see where they are connecting. You follow what I'm saying? The churches, the fallen churches, apostate churches are gathering together with the government. You think they love the government? No. They're just looking to use it for their means. You don't think I'm correct in that? Look at the story of Jesus. When he was asked, who do you want, Barabbas or Jesus? And they crucified Christ. Who crucified him? Basically the civil government, right? They didn't want to get their hands dirty, so they forced them to do it. Is it going to be any different this time? Somehow they get plausible deniability, but they can't fool the judge, folks. Neither can we. They just want to use it for their own purpose. They said they had no king but Caesar. We have a king. It's called Lord of Lords, King of Kings. The joining of the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, the president, the civil law, the civil government, the religious, the papal, the kings, the merchants, I don't care what you call them. We're told that they're all going to come together. They're all moving to control the people of the earth. Satan is even using and going so far as to impersonate Christ at some point to try to deceive all the world. He's going to come and say he's God. He's going to look pretty good. I mean, he doesn't look like Hollywood makes him look, you know, with these wings and red. Last time I looked, that's not the way the Bible explained what Lucifer looks like. Hollywood does, and we're all like, well, so if any, you know, white hat, black hat, right? If he's got a white hat, he's good. If he's got a black hat, he's no good. Satan doesn't look like that. But as we have just seen and studied, God has his people who he's entrusted and has blessed to call people out of spiritual Babylon and little Babylon. Whatever Babylon they're in, doesn't matter to me. To be citizens of the spiritual Jerusalem and then to dwell in the literal new Jerusalem with God's, with God, Dwelling in his presence. Wow. Why wouldn't someone want that? I know it's hard to get, but that is the true utopia. The utopia that we're being sold here on earth is not a utopia at all. There's a whole other world within a world. You talk about dimensions. I was just talking to Deb Queen. Her son was into those online gaming things. She's learned so much about her son, who, I don't say he reinvented himself, maybe that was his real person. He was a nice guy. And everybody who's contacted her now has no idea of the one that maybe Deb knew. He kept it hidden from even his mom. But praise God, I just found out, but my point is there's another dimension within a dimension within a dimension. We have a son who's into them games too. And not that they're all evil, because they're not. 
But they are creating what's evil is another universe. We need to be careful. We can't fake it. There's no fake universe to be in. Reality is going to hit us like a ton of bricks. And when it does, it's going to feel heavy, a heavy burden. Give your burden to Christ this morning and realize that, you know what? We're not any better people than anybody else, but the message we have is better because the message can save. That's what we should all be about, saving our brothers and sisters, our family members. As we get ready to sing our hymn, we'll have our prayer right now. Our Father, which art in heaven, Lord, you've given us so much. We are blessed. I pray that the blessings of the world don't entice us that we forget about the true blessings that you have to offer. Maybe 60, 70, 100 years, maybe 30, 40 years, maybe 120 years is nothing in comparison to eternity. We thank you, Father, for that blessing that you're so willing to give us free. All we have to do is accept it and hold on to it and try to bring as many as we can to relieve your suffering. We'll forget wicked that are slain, even if they're family. You will never forget one soul that is lost. You want to help Jesus' suffering? Proclaim this message. Get people out of Babylon and get them to know who Christ really is and that God loves them to death and beyond. Amen.